Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Tonight, I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles, if you would, to the book of James once again, to the book of James. We've been going through the book of James, and while you're going through the book of James, let me add something uh, that I believe is important for us to embrace tonight. In fact, as this world is waxing worse and worse, and the kingdom of God is standing stronger and stronger, it's important for us, the children of God, to know who we are and to know what God has said to us. Never has there been a more critical time in our nation or even in the generations than now to know the Word of God and to know who God is. Tonight, while we are continuing in the book of James, our topic for tonight is going to be the privilege of prayer. And I'm going to ask you to just open up your heart for something that God might say to you concerning the privilege of prayer. But before we get to our scriptures, I want you to know one more time that the Word of God is not the Word of God unless it is the Word of God. I know that that's not just a catchy phrase, but it's something that we need to repeat to ourselves over and over and over. That the Word of God is not the Word of God unless it is the Word of God. That every time we hear the Word, not just preached, but even in song, every time we hear the Word of God, someone quoted or, 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 or someone used it for a basis of, of some uh, you know, uh, justification or reason why they're doing what they're doing, why they're believing what they're believing, why they're hoping what they're hoping. We need to make sure that we know that it actually is what God intended when He said those words. Words just put together in a string, even if you can read them from the Bible, even if you read them over and over and over, confess them, memorize them, and shout them you know, uh, to, the, you know, uh, to the highest heaven. They don't mean anything unless that's what God meant. The Word of God is not the Word of God unless it is the Word of God. There are two critical keys that will unlock success in every endeavor. Everything has a path to success, keys to success, from salvation to business, from parenting to brain surgery. There are two critical, two elemental critical factors, two keys that are indispensable when we are determining and when we are pursuing success. These two critical keys to success, number one, Knowing what to do. If you don't know what to do, you're apt to fail. If you want to succeed, the first thing you have to realize is that I need to know what to do. I need to know what to do as a parent. I need to know what to do as an investor. I need to know what to do as a, as a teacher. I need to know what to do in this critical moment. I need to know what to do. I need to know what to do as a lost person. I need to know what to do on my job. I need to know what to do. In this situation, in every endeavor, there are two critical factors that will determine our success. Number one is knowing what to do, and number two is doing it. Okay? You can know what to do all day long, but without actually making application of that knowledge, 
James wrote earlier to know what to do and not do it, to know that you should be doing what God wants you to do. And then not doing it, he said, is error, is sin. It makes you miss the mark. The word sin in that particular concept means the same thing as putting an arrow on a bowstring and pulling the arrow back and releasing that bow and you're shooting at a bullseye. When you miss the bullseye, you are said to have erred. That word for error is also sin. You have sinned. You have missed the mark, the Apostle Paul would say. We have missed the mark. We have all missed the mark. We have all sinned. We have all erred. We have all attempted to hit a bullseye in life. We've attempted to be a good parent. We've attempted to be a, a, a good uh, you know, witness. We've attempted to be a, a good investor. We've attempted to be a good spouse. We've attempted to be a good son or daughter, a good friend. We have attempted to be a good Christian. And yet, in some ways, when we released what we, what we did, when we did what we did, it missed the mark. And we sinned. We erred. Success doesn't get much more complicated than knowing what to do and then doing it. To know the right answer and to correctly apply that answer to the test that you are currently going through. Imagine yourself in an argument, in, a, in, in what turns into a fight, a fight of words, a frustration and anger and rage and, and wrath begins to ensue and, and you begin to tear things up that God doesn't want torn up, whether it's friendships or families or jobs, and you begin to, to speak critical and condemning words and, and harshness begins to flow out of you. You might know what to do, but it's important that we actually apply the answer to that test. There, there, there's a voice that speaks to us in moments when we are sinning. If you are born again, you might say, well, preacher, I don't have that voice that tells me what I'm doing wrong. Then you need to be born again. Because everyone that is born again gets the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit's job is to be a guide and a teacher to bring us into all truth. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict us, not condemn us, not criticize us, but to convict us of sin. That is the Holy Spirit's job, to convict us when we are erring, when we are missing the mark, and to go against that voice of the Holy Spirit in our life that tries to set us on track, to go against what many might consider their own counsel. If you are counseling yourself to sin, then you may need to be born again. Okay? That is a reality. When it comes to the Word of God, it is just as important when we are hoping to release the power of God into the earth when we are hoping to release the power of God through our prayer, when we are hoping that somehow we can change some facet of life, some factor when we are hoping that, 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 our, that our prayer, that our words, that our, that, that our life, when we are hoping that, 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 that the power that is available to us as a believer that we read about in the Word of God, when we are hoping that that power might be in some way released through us to see someone born again, to, 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 to see some situation change, some circumstance bow its knee to the name of Jesus, when we are hoping to release the power of God that's available to us, two critical factors are also in play. Number one is that we have the right interpretation of the Word of God. 
because the Word of God has power. But it only has power when it is the Word of God. It only has power whenever we know what it means. To misinterpret the Word of God, to use it as justification for something that God never intended. You see, you cannot go outside of the Word of God to accomplish the will of God. The Word of God only means what it means. It matters less what it means to me. The Bible says the word is of no private interpretation. So it matters less what it says or, or, or what it means to me than what it means to God. So we need always to be making sure that the interpretation of the word of God is correct. How do we interpret scripture? We interpret scripture with scripture. That's the most accurate way to interpret scripture. So that the whole counsel of God stands behind what I'm believing, not just a favorite word. That we're not explaining two or three other words away. That we're not trying to have to, you know, uh, hide what we believe without, uh, you know, introducing other scriptures that might shine a different light on it. We must always interpret scripture with scripture. The two factors that are critical to releasing the power that is available to the believer is number one, knowing what God means. The correct interpretation is critical. Also critical is our estimation of God's Word. Interpretation and estimation. You see, you can have the interpretation right. You can actually read the Word of God. I've had people tell me, oh, I've read it from cover to cover. I've read it, but you know, they don't hold it up. As the authority of Almighty God, creator of the universe, sustainer of all life. They don't estimate the Word of God as the Word of God. It is the Word of God. God, God one God, the only God, the true, the living God. This is the Word of God. You can know what it means, but not believe what it says and miss the mark. You can know it but not believe it. You see, when we claim to know what the Bible says, and many times, um, you know, I, I'm going to tell you about something I did one time that was wrong. I shouldn't ever do it. I shouldn't have done it. I had to repent for it. But back years and years ago, back when I was just a baby, I was invited to serve on a deacon board in a church. And I was rather like I am now, but with a little less harness and rain on things jumping out of my mouth that I felt or things, you know, I, I had, uh, I had what I came to call a spirit of short fuse. And, uh, and so I was a little bit less, I'd, I'd just gotten out of the military and I was very used to command structure and I was very used to, you know, um, saying what, what you meant up front and then working it out later. And I went to a deacon board meeting and something was brought up. It was in a debating stage back and forth and, and uh, it was plain to me what the Word of God said about what we were to do. So I said, well, I said, listen, I think, I think we can settle this, men, because this is what the Scripture says. The Bible says, and then a man interrupted me and said, we all know what the Bible says, but this is reality. That's what he said. He was, a, he was a brother deacon. I had a big Bible back in those days. 
shouldn't have done it, wouldn't do it again, and I apologized, and he's in heaven now. He's probably laughing at me. But I said, well, this is what the Bible says. He said, well, we all know what the Bible says, but this is reality. I took my big old Bible, and I threw it at him. I hit him in the chest and knocked him over in his chair, and I was right on top of him whenever he landed. I said, that is reality. And then I looked around, everybody was going. <laughs> I had to repent and apologize, and I, had to, I, I apologized. You know, we laughed about it years and years later. We, can, we laughed about it four years at how young and green this young man was. But, uh, you know, this is reality. You can know what the Bible says. We all know what the Bible says. Well, when we do, we need to understand it's reality. You know, uh, and it is the answer. You see, uh, our lack of faith, when we know what the Bible says, but we don't believe it is the Word of God, when we know what it says, but we don't hold it as supreme authority, we are reprobate. That's reality. Our lack of faith, our doubt, our disbeliefs withhold the power of God's Word. And we receive nothing from our claims, even when we claim to know what God says, whenever we really don't believe Him. And believe means... The opposite of belie. Belie, believe. Belie, belive. We live what we be. If you be a Christian, you live in a Christian. That's what believer means. It means all in. It means all in. It means I, I'm living what I be. I be living. I be living. I am a believer. I am a believer. I am living what I actually claim that I am. Matthew 13, 58 and Mark 6, 5 both say the same thing. That Jesus could do there no mighty works because of their unbelief. It wasn't that they didn't hear what he was saying. It wasn't that, you know, that, that it was not the word of God. They heard it. They understood it. They just didn't believe it. And Jesus could do their no mighty works. Our claims go unmet many times because not of our interpretation, but because of our estimation. Did God really mean that? Will God really do that? However, when we believe the Word of God, when we believe this is God's Word, and we just aren't sure what it says, we become disciples. That's where I am. I believe this is the Word of God. Now, I can't tell you that I understand it all. I can't tell you that I, that, that, that I, that I have, you know, a, a, a revelation on what it all means. But I can tell you, as a disciple of Christ, I am living a life. You are living a life. We are living a life in pursuit of greater understanding of what God says. You see, uh, God's Word is designed to have permanent character so that it will apply to all lives in every generation. It means today what it meant then because God does not change. His word does not change with time. His word does not change with circumstances. We make up our minds to believe the Bible and then we begin a lifelong adventure to find out what it means. <laughs> but the first step is to believe. You can't 
believe for something that you don't believe in. You can't believe for healing if you don't believe in it. You can't believe for salvation if you don't believe in it. The Bible says if a man's going to come to God, he must, number one, believe that he is, and number two, that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. The Bible says with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and then the mouth is made, uh, you know, confession is made by the mouth uh, unto salvation. You have to believe in Jesus before you can believe for him. You can read about him and you can know what it says, but if you don't believe it, it will not affect you. The Bible says signs follow believers. I was talking to a group of people some many years ago, and I told them I had an experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I spoke in tongues, and, and I believed in prophecy, and they said, oh, we don't believe in that. I said, don't worry about it. It'll never bother you. It won't ever bother you. If you don't believe in it, it'll never bother you. As mature, as we mature in Christ, our faith becomes more effective and our prayers become more powerful. We are on a lifelong adventure. But the first step is to believe God and to believe this is his word. And when we believe God and believe that this is his word, when we embrace the word of God as the word of God, then we begin this discipleship process. And as we mature in Christ, our faith becomes more effective and our prayers become more powerful. It's an adventure. It's just like a child growing up. Just like a baby that learns to walk and learns to talk and, and grows into an adult, we are designed by God to mature in faith day by day, step by step, as we walk in this life, holding the Word of God as supreme authority. The Word of God is our supreme guide to life. Once we make that decision, we become a disciple of Christ. And then... We begin to feed ourselves. We begin to study. We begin to open our hearts. We begin to hear the word in a different way. Tonight, if you believe the word of God, you will hear it different than the person who does not believe this is the supreme God of life. If you have already made up your mind that God's word is true, then you're going to hear it with a different ear. You still have to vet the word. You still have to get the correct interpretation. But once you get the estimation correctly, then the interpretation is a process of life. Does that make sense? Okay, that being said, this evening we're going to continue our study in the book of James. Now, James was the half-brother of Jesus. He was not only raised in Nazareth with Jesus in a home, he watched him, you know, growing up for about 30 years or so. And then in his three, Jesus' three and a half years of ministry, uh, James did not uh, believe. As we understand, he did not believe that his brother was Messiah. But then after the resurrection, revelation came to him. Jesus, you know, appearing to more than 500, James was saved and submitted his life to his half-brother, to his Lord, his Savior, Jesus. And in that born-again experience, received a calling on his life to become the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, the first church that had been birthed in the earth. James, by the time that he writes this letter, which we hold as the book of James, 
James by this time has pastored the church in Jerusalem for perhaps 30 years. He's seen the ins and outs, the ups and downs. He's seen the good times and the lean times of churches and families that he pastored. They went through difficult days. They went through glorious days. They saw uh, so many things. And all of this time, the steady in their life was this pastor that continued to give them the word of God, continued to make sense out of an Old Testament, which to many, was just a book of laws because James did not have the New Testament. James only had the Old Testament by which he was preaching the revelation and the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is teaching truth by bringing the truth out of the words of the Old Testament, out of the Psalms and the Proverbs and out of the prophets. And, and, and all of these, as Jesus said, they all testify of me. James was teaching those revelations. He was perhaps by this time, due to him having located himself in one place and, and, and lived this faith and lived this salvation with a congregation that was in such turmoil at times, scattered and gathered and scattered and gathered and persecution and, and his deacons being uh, you know, executed and stoned in the streets and, and, and all kinds of things going. He nonetheless is teaching this victorious life that comes through the relationship you can find through Jesus Christ. Perhaps he at this time is the most seasoned man of God on the planet. And he speaks to us about a faith that works. And he speaks to us about the privilege of prayer. In fact, in closing his book in James, the fifth chapter, in closing his letter, he turns his attention and his focus. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he turns his attention to prayer. In James chapter 5, the first part of verse 13 says this. Is anyone among you suffering? Well, of course, there were a lot of people in his world suffering. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Hold your spot right there for a moment. Is anyone among you suffering? This, this concept of suffering means hardships, difficulties, pressures, ill-felt conditions of all kinds, from poverty to brokenheartedness to persecution to betrayal to disappointments. Is any one of you suffering physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, financially? Is anyone among you going through relationship problems? Is there anyone among you suffering because of business deals or complications that that, that, that that the government is giving you. Is anyone among you going through a difficult time in life? Let that person pray, he said. Whoa. What an invitation. What an invitation Pastor James is making by the Holy Spirit. Inspired at this moment, he is saying that there is an open invitation given to mankind, given to us when we are suffering. There is an open door. There is an access, an open invitation from Almighty God to communicate directly with him. Wow. Jesus would say in John, the 16th chapter, he said, listen, there's coming a day that, that, that you're not going to be asking me anything. You're going to go, be going directly to God. You will ask God in my name. You know, you, won't have to, you, you don't have to go through anyone. You don't have to go through, you know, your preacher. 
You don't have to go through your pope. You don't have to go through a saint. You don't have to go through Mary. Jesus said, you don't even go through me. He said, you have access directly to the Father. You will ask him in my name. Wow. There is no one so desolate. There is no one so poor. There is no one unwelcomed at the throne of God. There is no one who has done something that takes them off of the list in heaven that if they come before God, sincerely applying to him in prayer, there is no one that God will shut the door on. What an invitation. Every person is invited to bring their sincere petitions their supplications, their thanksgiving, their intercessions directly to God, the creator of the universe. Isn't that neat? I love that. And he will hear you. I love that. I, I love it. You see, prayer is a privilege. There is a privilege to prayer, not just the practice of prayer, but prayer is a privilege. Let, let me liken it to some other privilege that you might, you know, think worthy. You know, Sometimes, maybe you are more privileged than I am. But sometimes it's hard for me to get through to someone I want to talk to on the phone. Maybe a judge that's hearing my case. Maybe he doesn't want to give me his private phone number. Or hearing a case that might involve my child. Maybe he doesn't want me calling his personal cell phone at 1130 at night to tell him that I, that I really think that he needs to do this in this case. I don't have access to him. Maybe you do. Boy, wouldn't you count yourself privileged? Wouldn't you count it a privilege to be able to call the judge and tell him what you want him to do? You know, you... You may not have the personal you know, cell phone number of your medical doctor or your surgeon. You know, maybe the best that you can do is call and maybe, you know, maybe you get, uh, you know, a person. Maybe you get a recording. Maybe after pushing a few numbers, someone comes on. You tell them what you want and they'll say, I'll tell them and somebody will get back with you. They, you know, maybe they will. Who among us, you know, has the cell phone number of President Trump? I mean, I, I don't. I don't, I mean, any of you have something you'd like to talk to him about? Yeah, I have a few things I'd like to talk to him about. But I don't have access to him. And he's just the president of the United States. But I don't have that privilege. Would you feel privileged if you, well, I mean, what, come on now, wouldn't you have a little bragging rights? If me and you were out just riding around and you said, hold on a second, let me call uh, uh, President uh, uh, Trump and, and ask him what he thinks about, uh, you know, where we should eat lunch today. Hey, hey, how's it going? Oh, good, you know. Uh, and, and yeah, where do you think we should eat? Oh, really? Oh, well, you know, okay. Um, you know, oh, you're going uh, you to have somebody pay for it? Oh, how great. You know, yeah, I need a little cash. I need about 20 bucks if you don't mind. Uh, you know, in fact, you know, if you'd pay my electricity bill, I'd appreciate it. Oh, you will? You'll help? Oh, thanks. And then you hang up, and, and I, I'd be over there going, 
I would say, man, you are somebody. Huh? I mean, realistically, wouldn't? But that's kind of, we would never imagine that we would ever get to the place to have the privilege of, of being able, you know, I mean, you know, even a CPA or financial advisor, I'm not certain that they want to take your call at 3 o'clock in the morning to give you a little financial advice whether you should, you know, invest in Kellogg's or, or Motiva. You know? In a moment's notice, yet the creator of the universe has given you private audience. Anytime for anything that you want to talk to him about, tell him about, ask him about, get help with, get encouragement for, get wisdom on, I mean, anything at all. I'm talking about if you're just thinking about what color shirt you want to wear tomorrow. Do you know God is standing right there willing to talk with you about it? The creator of the universe has set us up with such a privilege that we can talk to him about national affairs and don't you think that he's not listening and don't you think that he will not answer? Don't you think for one moment that he will not move on our prayers? Don't you think for one moment that Almighty God doesn't care enough about the splinter in your toe or about the investment you're about to make or about the concerns you have for a nation or about your family situation? He will dispatch angels on assignment. He will move heaven and earth. He will, with his power, create what is needed. Ask him anything in my name, and he will do, he said. Wow. My goodness. Prayer is a privilege. It's not just a practice. It's a privilege. Where can you go for counsel? Where can you go for encouragement? Where can you go for direction? Where can you go for correction? Where can you go for instruction? Where can you go to, to get the wrongs righted in your life? Where can you go to get deliverance from worry and fear and hurt feelings and disappointments, injustices? Where can you go anytime, day or night, to have a counselor who is called the Prince of Peace? You can go to prayer. I had rather have God's ear than President Trump's ear. I count myself a lot more privileged to be able to communicate with the creator of the universe than with the judge that is hearing my case. Prayer is the privilege. God will hear you. He waits to hear you. He wants to hear you. God will show you great and mighty things that you never thought about, Jeremiah 33, 3 says. He knows the answers. He can deal with others who are bothering you. He can wake them up in their nighttime or he can give them dreams. He can send angels on assignment across their path and speak to them. He can make songs so loud in their ears that when they wake up, they are hearing the right words. Almighty God can change things. 
that need changing on our behalf. He is that powerful. He can comfort our souls. David knew that God heard his prayers. He talked about it constantly. And he talked to God about everything he needed. He every, I mean, just read this song. Uh, last week, I, I went, the, the Psalms was my book. It's hard to read the whole Psalms in one week. You know, I'm in Exodus this week. I've been reading one book a week. I'm up to chapter 27. And my week starts on Tuesday. Tuesday to Tuesday. Because that's when the new year started. Let me encourage you, go through the Bible this year. If you don't have a better way to do it, click on our website, www.cotr.com, and right there it'll say daily Bible reading. Boom, and it'll just give it to you right there. And if you don't have time to read it, it'll give you what to read. It will read it to you. And you'll get through it in a year, the whole Bible. Why not? Why not? I was reading through the Psalms. My goodness, David talked to to God about everything. He talked to God about everything. What a privilege. And then he would say, I know you hear me. <laughs> and I praise you. You know, well, James 5, verse 13. We, we might make it through this verse tonight. Is any one of you suffering? Let him pray. <laughs> That's the first thing. Let him pray. He didn't say don't moan, don't groan. He didn't say go tell your neighbor and complain. He said let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? This concept of being cheerful means not just to go laughing all the time, but to, is, is any of you free of cares? Is anyone carefree? Is, is, is anyone here doing okay? Is life going all right for some of you? Or, is there anyone that, I mean, he had both kinds of people. He had people in his church that were suffering and he had people in his church that were carefree. And because they were carefree, it didn't mean they were going around laughing and giggling all the time. It didn't mean that they were, you know, uh, 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 of, a, of a merry heart of the sense that, that you would think being merry means being, you know, laughing and, you know, frivolous or, or you know, it means that, you're, that, that, that everything's going great in life, that you're carefree. And you're really kind of doing okay. You're kind of happy about being, you know, about things are okay. You know, sometimes it feels real good when it stops hurting. You know? Any of you ever been hurting? And you think one day I'm going to feel better, and then you start feeling better, and you say, man, that feels good. Yeah. That's what he's talking about. Have any of you come through something? Any of you were suffering, and now you're not? And, oh, my goodness, you're just happy that you're not anymore? Yeah. Oh, man, how many times have I felt carefree? How many times have I felt cheerful? How many times have I just come through something that was suffering? Whew, I had the shingles one time. Whoo! Let me tell you, it feels good to not have the shingles. Glory to God. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> Yeah, wow, I've caught on fire three times. Glory to God that I am not on fire. Burned all my hair off. You know, not all of it came back, by the way. Yeah, my goodness, 
praise the name of the Lord. I had medullary cancer. It didn't look real good. Guess what? Gone. It, oh, glory to God. I'm so happy, Lord, that I'm not having to go to MD Anderson and have, have all of that taken out. They wanted to take everything out here in my neck, and I told me I probably wouldn't get to talk anymore. Whew, I feel better not feeling bad. That's cheerful. Any of you cheerful? Is anyone among you cheerful? Anyone among you glad <laughs> that you came through something that looked like you wasn't going to get through? Anybody cheerful? Okay. Then if you are cheerful, he says, let that person sing psalms. Let that person you just, just do some praising, some thanksgiving, some worshiping to God. Let, let that person not forget to thank God who made you cheerful. If you're suffering, go to God. If you are cheerful, go to God. You just go to God with a different voice. One of them you go to God with an old me, and the other one you go to God with a praise God and amen. Prayer in the time of affliction, not because it is easy. Prayer in time of suffering, not because it is easy, but because it is appropriate. It's the thing to do. It allows us to release our heart, to release our spirit, to release our hurts to God, who can do something about it in a different way than we can. Praise in the time of carefree moments, in the time of merriment, in the time of cheerfulness, not because it is an aimless and an idle expression of, of, of you know, our, our giddiness, but because it is appropriate that we direct a voice of thanksgiving to God for his evident goodness in our life. He blesses us so much. We need to pray with purpose and we need to praise with purpose. Let us pray and be thankful. Amen. Amen.